part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Welcome back to The Dust, a podcast where Elon Musk's crack Twitter team and algorithms marked our poll asking if Lauren Balfe's score makes one fist pump or one cry this season gets marked as sensitive content. I'm so glad you're making Twitter a free space for free speech. Mr. Musk, thanks so much. I shouldn't complain. Twitter's been good to me, and it hasn't crashed this whole season. We made it through a whole season without Twitter dying. I can't believe it. Speaking of which, you should always follow Lorne Balfe on Twitter, L-O-R-N-E-B-A-L-F-E, on Twitter because he's constantly doing all kinds of great raffles and charity drives and he usually gives away great stuff on his own as long as you're willing to give a cause that he's behind a little bit of thought and uh, perhaps a small donation you should also support his music by streaming it like constantly for a year just over and over and over or better yet go out and purchase his mp3 tracks from wherever you get and purchase your music. And that's what we're here to talk about today, just the music of Lauren Balfe. I'm Double M, Matt Murdick with you. Uh, It's time for another, as Catfish likes to call, a quadruple M, a Matthew Murdick musical analysis, whatever the hell that means. I guess he means I'm trying to mansplain music. I shouldn't think that I'm having to do that, but that's just the way that I am. I love music and I love talking about it and why it makes us feel the way we do when we watch film and why it's important to not have music in some places when we're watching a film. Uh, We've been discussing all of that this season as well. We're going to be covering the music from the last two episodes of His Dark Materials. The very last two episodes of His Dark Materials seems strange to say, but Season 3, Episode 7, The Clouded Mountain, and Season 3, Episode 8, The Botanical Garden. If you haven't seen those episodes, I don't know why you're here, because I'm going to be describing all kinds of things that this music accompanies. Uh, And realize that Mr. Balfe does have the final edition of the soundtrack out for these episodes as well, wherever you get your music. Once again, I urge you to purchase them. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today, and then Holly will be back with us this week, and we will talk about these finales to a great extent from a story standpoint. So stick with me. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you sticking with us all three seasons. It's been wonderful to interact with you and everything, but I don't want to get ahead of myself with, you know, another yet another goodbye that we have to endure. And so I'll just uh, say... Let's get into the music. If you have any feedback about anything, don't forget 
about our contests. By the time you get this, it may be too late, but if your name's already on the wheel, uh, or if you're trying to get your name on the wheel to win a Funko Pop, you must do so by Wednesday, December 28th, 2022, at the hour of noon Pacific time in the U.S., and you can get us any feedback and be part of that contest by tweeting at the Dust Podcast. You can use the spelling Matt's Audio Blog, M A T T S Audio Blog, all strung together on Hive or on Mastodon. You can use that same spelling, Matt's Audio Blog, at gmail.com for emails. You can also find the website, Matt's same spelling. And we urge you also to check out our YouTubes on Double P Media's YouTube channel. They have their own Twitter handles and stuff. Actually, all of their socials, the word double the letters PHQ. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. That's Hive. Use that same spelling for Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash double PHQ. And you can also find their website, doublepmedia.com. The word double the letter P, the word media.com. Or that's the spelling for the YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media, all put together. If you leave comments on our videos there, we will include that in our feedback stuff as well. I've rambled enough. Let's get into the music. Okay, so this is going to have a lot of tears in it. Without doubt, there's going to be lots of things that are it's just going to make us cry. Let's just face it. So let's kind of rip off the Band-Aid right off the bat and talk about Will and Lyra's love theme, which has been present pretty much since the beginning of this season. The first time that we heard just even a snippet of it was at the end of the second episode when Lyra reached out and held Will's hand. Now, what we actually heard there was what I consider to be the second part of the theme. It's actually the big buildup, and that buildup is used as the kiss happens, as the fall happens. But this is really a beautiful theme, and it has a wonderful melodic shape. It has all kinds of wonderful things. Now, if you want to listen to the original version of it, which Lauren follows pretty closely in the episode versions and in the official soundtrack for episodes seven and eight, which came out this week, I'm going to concentrate on that cut, the original anthology cut called Love Across Worlds. The cut that I'm going to concentrate mostly follows around the kiss in the OST. It is titled Young Love. The interesting thing about this is, remember, the fall is part of the prophecy. So Lorne often in the final episode would also bring in that prophecy motive a lot. It would sound like this. And we've heard that being used all the way back in season one when Kaiser was talking about the prophecy and things like that. So it's been around for a long time, and he's kind of weaved it into certain things and not into certain things. But the two big things that happened this season, of course, was Lyra conquering death and falling in love with Will. So it's very appropriate to at least begin most of these cuts or interweave most of these cuts with that prophecy motive. But of course, that's not really the theme. 
And let's talk about some things just in general. I want to talk about the first part because the rhythm of the melody and the melodic shape are very important here. Let me play it for you, and then I'll talk more about that in a second. you'll hear a lot more rhythm in this first part than you do in the second part. And there's a reason for that. There's motion in the first part of the melody because it gives it kind of a nervous energy, just as any young couple who are just discovering each other for the first time are typically kind of nervous. And there are lower things that keep it grounded because of that fear. And then as it develops and the kids grow more confidence, what happens the stretches, the distance between notes get larger. All of this represents the tentativeness and the building towards the climax, which is actually the second part, the part where the kiss actually happens. You hear a little bit of this first part of the melody before the kiss happens. You really hear it afterwards as well. But when you look at the second part, everything's slower. Everything is steadier because love has been found. Love has been secured. And you'll hear what I mean when I play it right here. Slow, steady love, real love, represented rhythmically. The melody climbs. The love is building. There's one chord change in there that makes everything feel like the revelation, reaching to a new place. On top of that, with each of the melody lines, there is also this supporting line of harmonies that go with it, that come up from underneath, that support it, because this is a supportive and strong love. It's built on a great foundation. And the final stroke is the largest melodic jump right at the end. Now it's no longer tentative because it has this strong, steady bass underneath it. Now it is just a love reaching for its full potential. It's just gorgeous, as was everything that Mr. Balf did. And all of these things combine to create the drama 
And I realize that those of us that know the story or even are just seeing the story for the first time are moved by the emotion of what's happening to the characters. But the music and the way that it is built for this couple really helps sell those emotions for us. One last thing to talk about here with this, and that is note that the last chord in both parts, one and two, is not the root. It is not the home key. That's because this is an incomplete love. It can never be finished until they come back from the land of the dead together and become every single atom with each other. So what you get instead is what would be the relative majors four chord or the relative minors flat six chord. A lot of numbers you don't need to worry about, but numbers that tell you we're not home. This isn't complete, which makes it even more sad, right? <sighs> Are we depressed yet? Well, let's try and pick things up just a little bit. I want to talk about one of my favorite pieces in episode eight, and that was when Mary was telling her story. It's called The Serpent Story on the official soundtrack, and it uses Mary's theme, which was originally called Play the Serpent on the season two anthology. God, I love this piece. Now, we've heard the theme in kind of its traditional form and stretched a little bit all throughout the season, but this is one of the most endearing versions of it. I think that Mr. Balf has ever done. It's pretty amazing. Just to remind you what the original theme sounds like. You'll hear triplet rhythms underneath, outlining chords, and the simple melody that jumps octaves. Why does it jump octaves? Because this is a huge mission. Now, as this cut opens for Mary about to tell her story, it's pretty darn amazing because what he does is he reverses the chords. The original chords were outlining the flat six and then the one based on the root. I know that's a lot of numbers, but just think that it starts away and then comes home. In this case, when he starts out with the piano, he pays a tribute to the motive, doesn't play that triplet motive exactly, but he does play it in a triplet rhythm. The piano carries it and extends the chord. Why? Because this is the mission. This is important. And the chords themselves, the position, are reversed. Instead of going from the unresolved to the resolved, we are now going from the resolved to the unresolved. And it's not really that it's unresolved, it's just that it adds a deeper sense of purpose to it. The Will and Lyra love theme, which climbs up to the flat sixth, we really get a feel like it needs to go somewhere. In kind of the same way, what this does is it says, this is where Mary is now. But the second chord is telling us there's more to this story than you think, and we're going to tell it. I love that it's rubato as well, 
What I mean is, is that the tempo fluctuates. It starts off at a certain speed and then it kind of slows down towards the end of this. And what that is telling us is that it is kind of tentative for Mary. She's not sure if she should be telling this story, but it's also giving a tenderness because she's giving great care and thought into how she is going to tell this story. Much like when I'm podcasting and I start talking off real fast and then I end up slowing down and putting more spaces in because I'm trying to think of how to say it to you. Just a communication deficiency of my own. That is what this music kind of represents. It also represents the tenderness. You want to take great care in telling this story. And I love that. And we haven't even got to the meat of anything yet. We're just on the intro. We've got tentativeness and tenderness in this intro. And we've paid tribute to the motive. And this next part is the part that I absolutely love because he brings back the melody now. He's using the juxtaposition of the progression, but then he brings it back home to where it's back in alignment. And he's adding all kinds of rich colors of chords, like adding ninths. And he uses this little string line, this counter line that rises up after the melody falls down the octave, again, showing the nurturing and the strength of this story. But because this story is complex, there's a lot of other harmony added to it as well, which I love, which sounds like this as well. so much richness in it. Now, it is following the original chord structure of the flat six to the root based off of the fifth of the chord, because in the last part, he reset it. And as he's continuing here, this is playing the serpent. This is the theme. So he keeps the same chord structure. But because the story is complex, because the story is emotional, he also adds new harmonic context to it. He adds that suspended four chord to the resolve of the four minor. And we never knew any of this about Mary. We didn't know why she left being a nun. We didn't know that she was gay. Her life is complex. Her story is complex. And so it demands more complex harmonies, more soul searching harmonies. And after this, really what happens is there's some a little bit of development of chords and it kind of develops into the chords. I can't place whether it's actually Lyra's theme or whether it's the Will and Lyra love theme because those two are kind of similar in the way that they resolve and things. But either way it was intended, it still points to one thing. Mary has given Lyra the idea. So there's just a little bit of respite before we get back into tearing our hearts out. Lots of other things I need to mention. There are so many heartbreaking versions of the Will and Lyra love theme throughout. One of the most powerful ones for me was when Lyra stands up to Zephani and says, no, they're not going. There's just a short snippet there. And after they check the alethiometer, they come back. And it's interesting, the chords for that theme are arpeggiated. 
not unlike the way that Mary's theme is arpeggiated. This happens as Lyra talks to Serafina and Will talks to Mary. Nice way to do that there. There's Will and Lyra at the window, which is absolutely heartbreaking. The part one of the theme is also very strong when they do the whole every atom thing. But there's some other music that's in there too. I I need to mention some of this as well. There's a very nice and really underscored statement of the melody for the subtle knife when Zephania tells Will that he has to break the knife in order for them to be able to close all the rest of the windows. I love the way as Mary begins to concentrate on seeing her demon as Seraphina instructs her, how we hear just a little bit of her theme and then it gets into kind of a new piece that uses that supporting line from her serpent story as kind of a jolt to the melody. That was a nice trick and there's really not any reason to break it down because we're at the end of the story. But the one version of a theme that we already knew that really, really got me was after Will had reunited with his mom and Lyra is alone there at Jordan and we hear a very slow, very richly orchestrated version of the Scholastic Sanctuary theme, Lyra's Adventures theme, except now it's been slowed way down. The timbres, the instruments from very emotional strings down to a last part of the melody being played by the French horn is very emotional and it shows how all of the fun that once was Jordan is no longer there for Lyra. And that sounds like this. There are three main things happening there that makes it so emotional, or at least for it did for me. One is the tempo, very slow. We're used to that being a very bouncy sound, but now that all of the life of the adventure has gone out of Lyra because she's lost what truly matters to her, there's no zest to it anymore. Second, the timbres, very emotionally played strings and the French horn, and my piano version doesn't do it justice at all. And finally, there's one harmonic change at the end that's different from most of the versions that we've heard. For one, usually, where the French horn comes in, in like the last two measures, there are two chord changes. There's one from the four up to the five, and then it raises up to the sixth. Or if you're just looking at it from a minor perspective, it goes the flat six to the flat seven to the root. I know these are a lot of numbers. Don't worry about them. All my point is, is that normally there's a couple of changes of chords that help create a different emotion for it. Here, the four chord or the flat six, whichever way you want to look at it, or if you don't want to call it any of that, the first chord is held out. It creates this weight and then it resolves to the relative major, which it normally doesn't do. Normally it resolves to the relative minor. And that gives us such a bitter sweetness 
that it's kind of hard to overcome. But we're going to have to continue to overcome our emotions here because we still have lots of things from episode seven to talk about. I know I'm just torturing you. I'm torturing myself trying to talk about this stuff. So let's say goodbye to one of my all-time favorite themes of any television show, the Mrs. Coulter theme. One of the most brilliant versions was when she's speaking to Metatron, and Metatron invites her to come aboard, and the white carpet bridge, whatever, comes out. And she looks at her demon, she looks at the monkey, and she says, you know what to do. And as this is happening... You hear the Mrs. Coulter motive, but it's not in the place where you think it is. And the chords aren't what you expect them to be. It sounds like this. So what's happening there is he's using the same motive. He's just moved it to a different position in the scale. He's using the same distances between notes, the same melodic shape but he's placing it around the fifth. And what does a fifth always do? It makes us wonder what's going to happen next. And that's what we're wondering what's going on with Mrs. Coulter. And those chords are not the typical chords. We're used to the chords continually going down. And this one goes down, but only down by a half step. It resolves from the flat six to the minor five. Is she going to succumb to Metatron's invitation And what's she going to do when she gets there? Then she does. She says, you know what to do. And we all know that the monkey is now going to throw the switch. Absolutely brilliant. But then, as she's starting to walk across that bridge or that carpet or whatever it is, there's that pulse that happens that we associate with Mrs. Coulter when she is driven. This one. And that pulse is carried kind of in the background for the whole rest of the track. It's amazing because now we'll get the melody as we know it, but the chords will still be different. The first part of it sounds like this. And what's happening here is a pedal tone. The bass line isn't moving, just the chords on the inside. And that creates this sense of tension in a way, but the chords are different than anything that he's really used. He's used the one chord naturally, but he also uses the flat seven. And the flat seven kind of suspends things. This cut, by the way, on the official soundtrack is called Resolve. And that's exactly what's happening here. That pulse is the resolve against this unknown situation where Mrs. Coulter is taking every risk to save her daughter, including facing Metatron face to face. But then what really, really gets you is the last time that the melody is played, the chords change again underneath. And it gives this sense of power that is unbelievable. Again, it's that flat six to the minor five, which is what we heard initially. 
and it just makes everything feel bigger because everything is going in opposite directions. The harmony voicings are going up while the bass line is going down. The melody note is as high as it possibly can be. It sounds like this. It's so powerful. And actually, it's not just that single note like I played on the piano, but I can't nearly play that huge chord that plays at the end with that minor. It was so loud that it almost rattles your speakers if you're just listening to it on the OST. It almost feels distorted. It was so recorded. And that orchestra was so powerful. And it doesn't come across that way near as much on the TV simply because it's mixed further down in the mix. But... God, is it extraordinary. I absolutely love this. It made me terrified, but it also made me fist pump because I thought she's going to do the thing. She's going to save Lyra any way that she can. And of course, her and Asriel ended up doing so. And that cut is horrifyingly sad. But there's a lot of elements in it that are actually more about Asriel than they are about Mrs. Coulter. So I wanted to make sure that we paid really good tribute to Mrs. Coulter as we go out musically, because this theme has been used in so many different ways, so many different variations of whether just the melody is used and a different harmony is used underneath it, or whether just the harmony is used, or whether just the harmony is used and a different melody is placed on top of it. And it's all been about Mrs. Coulter. And this was a fitting send-off for Mrs. Coulter, sending her off from the mortal plane. Loved it. And as much as I actually hate Asriel still, I love the application of his theme, especially at the beginning of this episode when he's making the speech. You can find this on the official soundtrack. It's actually the very first cut, A Call to Arms. It built really well. It used both parts of the theme, especially then, again, they used the second part of the theme when they were going into battle. It was Pretty darn amazing and epic. And just in case you can't remember what the theme sounds like, it sounds like this. Now, that's just a snippet because I've already covered this back in episode 33. I gave you a good idea of what it was about and how it musically works. So no need to do that. But there were nice little additions and things like that. There was a little string line that was going on in behind it, very low in the mix. At least I think it was a string. It might have been a synth of some kind. But it added a little bit of the, the kind of the quiet urgency as Azrael's speech is building. And then when he gets to the We Are Free bit, that's when the second part of the theme kicks in. And those running lines really start to become prominent. You start to hear them better. And I love the second part of the theme more so than I love the first part of the theme. It has a tremendous amount of power, and part of that is just dynamics. But also, part of it is the way the notes really jump up in certain places. Or the rhythms are short-long, and that creates a lot of drama in it as well. 
it sounds like this. Again, love those chord arpeggios, although it's not probably completely accurate because I just outlined the chords. I think there's some other notes that Lauren sticks in there that help it feel even more frantic. But again, this is about raising the heart rate. There's 18 of those string notes for every bass note that you get. So you can imagine how that feels bigger, more exciting, just from the sheer quantity of notes. So, two really nice parts of Azriel's theme that were used at the beginning. His chords were also used at the end for him and Marissa Coulter, although there was kind of a combination. Interestingly enough, when they go into the abyss, it's a very quiet piece. Now, H. Tracy 084, that's our friend Holly, asks that we do a breakdown of this piece. It's called Into the Abyss on the official soundtrack. And there's very little statement of the melody except maybe of the strings at the beginning, which is the Azrael theme, and then the Azrael chords kind of continue. There is this motif that kind of goes through it the entire time as well. There's this little ostinato pattern high up in like a bell-like tone that sounds like this. But just as life is falling away from Azrael and Marissa, the melodies fall away as well. And you just get these building of chords. And towards the end, as we lose Delmaria, as we lose the monkey, we hear great building of choral singing. Now, I can't tell you what the lyrics are saying, but Lorne has always used kind of this choral kind of sound very well and he often uses like these kind of exotic singing groups that you might not be exposed to otherwise so i love him bringing that kind of awareness to film music and the harmonies between Azrael's theme and mrs coulter's theme don't really work all of that well but the parts of mrs coulter's chords that tend to rise they sound like the notes are getting higher even when the bass line is going lower they work really well against the theme, and it sounds like this. And come to think of it, those chords actually, towards the end, remind me more of the chords from Lyra's Prophecy theme. Those two themes have always seemed kind of related in a way to me, probably because I just associate father and daughter. I'm not sure if Lauren did the same, but it would make sense if Lyra's chords were in there because why are they doing this? They're doing this so that Lyra can fulfill the prophecy. Uh, we should take 
just a couple moments once again to thank Mr. Balf for three seasons of amazing scoring. He's been true to his themes. He's had continuity in his musical narrative. Takes the time to really work really hard on television shows. He's done a great job with Wheel of Time. He's scored lots of films. He's done a great job with his dark materials for sure. He gave us themes that gave meaning to these characters. He used those themes to tell the story underneath the pictures and sometimes becoming just as or even more important than the pictures. I would urge you once again to follow him at Lauren Balf on Twitter. While Twitter still exists, I don't know. You can check his website, laurenbalf.com to find out if he has any other socials that you might be interested in. I'm pretty sure he's got an Instagram. But thank you, Mr. Balf. We will continue to support and retweet any of your promotions or your charity drives that you do. That's going to do it, folks. That's going to be my last musical analysis for this series. It feels weird to say that. It's been a great pleasure to hopefully inform you a little bit about the music. It's been a great pleasure to hear your comments about the music. Always love getting input from people about the score and how it makes them feel because, you know, it's not, I'm not going to try and tell you exactly what to feel. If you feel something different, then I hope that you do share it with us. The email, all of that stuff will remain open. You can always comment on the videos as long as they exist on YouTube You can always comment on the website as long as it exists, and we will respond to you. We may not put it in a podcast. We may not have another podcast ever, or we may. You never know. But if we don't, then we will respond to you, and you will get one more podcast covering the story of these two episodes from Holly and I for sure. We really thank you for sticking with us through these three seasons. Take care. listening to the dust a his dark materials podcast tweet the podcast at the dust podcast send emails to matt's audio blog at gmail.com and find all back episodes and other information at matt's please subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.